ready to go, alive at five or alive at seven. <laughs> alive at seven. Well, good evening and good to see you guys. Um, we are um, going to be in Second Chronicles chapter thirty-five. If you want to make your way there and. As you're doing so, I just want to remind you of our Operation Christmas Child. We're still um, uh, want to remind you about making your shoe boxes. Again, if you go to the website, we have a link um, to um, uh, Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child. It talks about if you just want to do one online, uh, if you want to pack it, what you need to do if you've never done it before. So all the information is there. And if you do want some boxes, we do have shoe boxes here. So you can always uh, send us a message or call us or come by and uh, let us know how many boxes you need. And we can give you the boxes and you can pack them. And don't forget, we have, uh, I think, 20 days um, left for collection. So, yeah, collection week. So just want to encourage you guys to help out. Um, Again, it's always great to see what the Lord does through those shoe boxes. So uh, check it out on the website or on the Facebook or YouTube. I think we've posted some things there for you guys. So take a look at it when you get a minute. All right. Well, we are in Second Chronicles tonight, chapter 35, and we're getting really close. 36 chapters. We'll, we'll finish it up, Lord willing, next week and then be in the book of Ezra. So... We are really coming to the end of uh, the books of history, particularly the books of the kings. Ezra, Nehemiah, um, and Esther take place after, chronologically, um, most of chapter 36. The um, uh, very last verse actually jumps pretty far ahead when they're settling back in the land, but uh, that will be uh, with Ezra and then Nehemiah, and then Esther's kind of in between Esther and Nehemiah as far as chronologically. So uh, we'll go to the end of 36 when they come. When, well, we'll talk about it then. <laughs> but I'm just kind of confusing everybody, I think, what I'm saying. So we're, but we are coming to the end of the book of Kings, and, uh, or I'm sorry, Chronicles, and, and the reign of Israel and has, has been over now for a while, and we're moving to the close of Judah, the southern tribes. Uh, here, like I said, we'll finish up next week with that. All right, well, let's go before the Lord in prayer. We'll pick it up in verse 1 of Second Chronicles 35. Father, um, uh, we do pray, um, Lord, for Operations Christmas Child, Lord, as people are packing boxes. And I, uh, I know Annabelle's work, I see the boxes kind of piling up there and other boxes that are coming in for others and others are giving generously um, money to, to pay for those, Lord. It's just, uh, we're excited to see what you're going to do um, uh, through them. So we pray you just continue to bless that ministry, Lord, and, 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 and our part in it as well, Father. And now as we look at your word, we ask again that you would just do that great and powerful work that you're so faithful to do by your spirit, which is just speaking to us, Lord. And, uh, you know, as we set this time apart, and aside for you, Lord, you always do great and wonderful things in our hearts and our lives, and we thank you for that in advance. So bless this time, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So we have our, we're kind of a couple chapters of Josiah. We're kind of right in uh, coming to the close of his life. Uh, uh, one of the greatest kings uh, to ever reign compared with David. Uh, a lot of great things said about him um, in, um, in Kings and Chronicles. As a matter of fact, really doesn't have any negative press um, directly, although we'll talk about maybe uh, one of things that he did uh, a little later on that ended his life a little bit early um, here. But we're really coming to the end of his reign and really the close of the nation. You know, God has said that they're going to go into judgment. We talked about that last time. There's nothing that's going to stop that, although it's not going to come in Josiah's day. Um, there'll be about three more kings, although most of them won't last very long, except for the last one, about 11 years. Um, and then uh, that's it. Babylon will finally wipe out the city. Um, and it, 
I, I kind of put it this way. It seems like, you know, Josiah's reign is kind of the last chance for the nation to turn its heart back to the Lord. Um, it doesn't mean that other people aren't believers. There's not people that don't love the Lord through what's going to come up ahead. We absolutely know that there are, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about them. As a matter of fact, we'll read about them, Daniel being one of them. Uh, Ezekiel being another one, and of course there's a lot of press on both of those, and of course Jeremiah being in the midst of all that as well, and, and, and a number of other minor prophets and others as well. But really as a, as a whole, as a gathering, it's you know the Lord extending His arms before everything kind of just uh, goes off the, off the deep end. And again, He's doing His best to lead and encourage his people here, Josiah is, you know, and, and ruling and reigning godly, you know, eliminating all those other distractions, we'd say, all the places of worship and other things that people can move into, getting rid of all that, you know, really encouraging them um, uh, and doing his best to lead in a godly way. But at the end of the day, just like it is in this day, it's, it's a personal decision and everybody must come to Jesus on their own, uh, free of any other... Uh, you know, you can't come through a parent or a child or a sibling or something like that. It's a decision everybody has to make on their own before the Lord. And so, um, you know, it's kind of the Lord opening His arms during this, this reign to the nation as a whole. So verse 1 says, uh, you know, now, remember the book of the law was found last time when they were kind of remodeling and restoring the temple. And, uh, you know, that just shone a, lot, a light on a lot of things to Josiah and the people because they, they hadn't had the word of God uh, in maybe a hundred years. Uh, I, I, the only record I know is Hezekiah did have access to some of Solomon's Proverbs. We know that from Proverbs 25, as I showed last time. But, um, you know, other than that, they hadn't been around. And so now that he has the, the law, probably the first five books of of the uh, Old Testament, verse 1 says, Now Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. And so, uh, again, this is all during the 18th year of Josiah's reign, so it doesn't tell us exactly when the book of the law was found. Maybe it probably seems by the preparation time to do all this. It was probably found maybe months earlier. Um, but it doesn't give us the date. So they have the, the book of the law there. They have what God's requirement was for the nation. And, of course, one of the important feasts was, was Passover. And so Josiah's like, yep, it's the, it's their first, uh, the 14th day of the first month, and, and it's, it's tied in with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that was seven days, and Passover basically was the, the first day of that. And so... Um, We'll talk about both those, but they were kind of connected together. And so, you know, it's important to celebrate the holidays or the holy days or their feasts, you know, as the Lord prescribed. He wants to do that. And, uh, you know, the nation is, God called the nation to remember what he did. We talked about this even on Sunday morning in Luke, if you remember. And let's, you know, um, celebrate this Passover. It's a holiday that... You know, a sign of God's grace and His mercy, delivering His people out of bondage, the bondage of Egypt, and delivering them uh, by His grace and His mercy into uh, uh, this, uh, out of that bondage and into the promised land. And again, um, there was a, a judgment coming to the firstborn, and if you applied the blood uh, of an animal, of a lamb, or a goat, really, too, on the blood on the doorposts of your home, uh, the death angel would pass over your house. So it was a, an act of faith on their part. And again, um, so you know they want to celebrate that. They want to remember God's grace. And you know they've been faced a lot of judgment and a lot of troubles over the last decades uh, and and longer. And he wanted to honor the Lord. And I believe you know this is what. The preparation was that Josiah does next to, to, to see this happen. So verse 2 says, And he set the priests in their duties and encouraged them for the service of the house of the Lord. So Josiah hears about, you know, Passover's coming up. And it, it sure seems to me by reading this that it hadn't been celebrated. And we don't know how long. Maybe it hadn't been celebrated in 
since his uh, great-grandfather Hezekiah celebrated it. Um, it could very well be it hadn't been celebrated. It kind of reads that way. And so he's, okay, we're going to do this. I know this is what God wants us to do. And so he gathers the, the, the people that need to get everything ready, the priests, and he tells them, you need to get ready for Passover. And, uh, you know, you, you need to get ready to do all this. And it again, it seems like they just haven't done it. And maybe a lot of them didn't know what even what to do. So he says, we need to get ready. You guys need to get ready, especially to so that we can celebrate this as a nation. And so he encourages the priests to serve the Lord and get behind this. I, I think that's a great word for us today as well, too. You know, it's so important that you know, we're encouragers. Um, I, I, you know, I struggle with that. I can always look at the dark side of it pretty quickly <laughs> or the bad side of things pretty quickly. But it's so important to, to be an encourager. You see, he's encouraging them. They, they need to be encouraged. He was encouraged by keeping God's word, but he, he also turned around then and, and encouraged others. And I think that's, that's a great a great thing, and it's a great sign, and we need to do that as the day draws closer, because dark days are going to grow darker and darker and harder and harder for everybody as believers, as Christians, and it's important that we encourage one another, as the Bible teaches us to do and tells us to do. So he's encouraging them, and so, you know, they want to celebrate the Passover, and he knows he needs to get the priests and all those that serve in the house of the Lord ready to go. And so that's kind of like the outline. Now he's going to get into the details of actually doing that. And the Bible kind of does that. A lot of times they give us the, the whole outline of what's going to happen. Like, okay, this is the big picture. And then, they, then it starts explaining what happens in, in the detail. And that's what's going on here. So he said to the Levites, verse 3 says, who taught all Israel, who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, built. It shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. So one of the first things he does is encouraging the priests, okay, we got to get ready for the Passover. And one of the things we need to do is have the temple ready. And now we get this kind of unusual piece of information because I don't know about you, but in my mind, I always figured the ark never moved out of the Holy of Holies, right? I mean, right? You'd think that's where it was supposed to be. Uh, you know, it, it should have been there since Solomon put it there. Why isn't it there? But obviously, uh, we have a little bit of a clue here that it's been being moved around. Now, it doesn't tell us why, but I think, you know, it's safe to make a few assumptions. And one of them could very well be that, remember, Manasseh, uh, his grandfather, and even his dad, Ammon, uh, were, were evil, even though Manasseh repented later on in life. But, you know, they had closed up temple worship, especially Manasseh, who reigned for 55 years as grandfather. And for the first, I don't know how many years, maybe 45, 50 years or something like that, I mean, you know, he was setting up idols and stuff inside the temple and doing all kinds of horrible stuff. And so maybe some, you know, godly priest said, uh, you know what, uh, let's keep the ark safe. Uh, or it's going to be desecrated if we leave it in here, or somebody's going to melt down the, the, some of the gold off it. Because remember, it had a solid gold lid, and it was a two-by-three chest, roughly, with a solid gold, uh, with a cherubim and all that. So, I mean, that was a huge chunk of gold, and it had some great value. And, of course, the rest of it was all overlaid with gold as well, but, um, or had some overlay. But So, you know, maybe, maybe they moved it around just to, to keep it safe or to keep it, consecrated in some ways or and it could have been that one of the his dad or his grandfather or some of the evil or kings just said get rid of that thing and they just said sure well you know we'll move it out of here so it doesn't really tell us but what Josiah does now is said you know what it belongs in the temple it belongs in the holy of holies behind the curtain where it was originally supposed to be where God ordained it to be, and that's the center of the worship, because that's where you're supposed to meet us, Lord, and the priests are supposed to go in there, you know, once a year, and then, you know, on the outer part of the temple, the holy, uh, the holy place, not the holy of holies where it was, but on the other side of the curtain, they were supposed to, you know, go in there a couple times a day and do different things, and, 
And so, um, uh, again, uh, we need to get everything back in order there. Um, you, 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 but, but again, I, I believe probably some godly priests said, you know, we need to keep this hidden or on the move um, so that nothing happens to it. And Josiah says, hey, listen, everything's okay now. You know, you don't have to no longer be fearful of that or worry about that. You know what, don't, don't worry about where that is and then carrying it around and moving around. Uh, focus on serving the Lord. You know, it's not going anywhere. It needs to go here. Don't, don't be fearful anymore where you're kind of just worried about that and doing this and moving it around. Just focus on, on, on serving the Lord. And, and that's exactly what Josiah says to him next, right? And the last part of verse 3 says, Now serve the Lord your God and His people. So you know, I know you're moving it around. And, uh, but uh, you don't have to be fearful of that anymore. Let's put it where it belongs. And again, that might be a word for some of us here tonight as well. Uh, you know, sometimes we've been running around trying to put out fires and taking care of this and doing that and doing this and doing that. But, you know, and sometimes we get so distracted by doing that, but, you know, and then all of a sudden the Lord comes along and says, okay, now just focus on serving me and everything else will work out the way it should. And, you know, sometimes we can get so busy just dealing from one fire and one problem and one situation and, and the next situation and the next thing pops up and then this fire pops up and that fire pops up and maybe something at work is miserable, something at home is not going right, maybe something, you know, health-wise isn't happening and this isn't going and this or this and whatever and, you know, there's all these little fires everywhere and we're running around and, you know, sometimes we just, you know, need to hear that same kind of word that says, okay, you know what, Let's let it rest. You know, God's not going anywhere and just serve him and everything is going to work its, uh, work its way out the way it should. You don't have to be the big fireman going around. You can trust our Heavenly Father. And uh, I think that was a word for some of these priests who are worried about the ark. And certainly, I think it's a word of encouragement for some of us today as well. Serve the Lord. Everything is going to work out. So he's encouraging them, reminding them what he needs to do. And then he tells them in verse 4, Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses, according to your divisions, following the written instructions of David, king of Israel, and the written instructions of Solomon, his son. And stand in the holy place according to the divisions of the father's houses of your brethren, the lay people, and according to the divisions of the father's house of the Levites. So slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourself, and prepare them for your brethren, so that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So, so he's basically saying, okay, we need to get everybody organized, and the, you know, you, they have different roles and responsibility, and Passover is a big day, and, and everybody's supposed to be there, and there's supposed to be these offerings and sacrifices, and all this is supposed to happen, so you've got to get everybody organized, so it's, it's ready to go. And make sure you're ready to go, that you're consecrated, that you're prepared to serve the Lord and do all that He wants you to do. And then verse 7 says, Then Josiah gave the lay people lambs and young goats from the flock, all for Passover offerings for all who were present, to the number of 30,000, as well as 3,000 cattle. These were from the king's possessions." And his leaders gave willingly to the people, to the priests, uh, and to the Levites, Hilkiah, Zechariah, Jehiel, the rulers of the house of God, gave to the priests of the Passover offerings 2,600 from the flock and 300 cattle. And Conaniah and his brother Shimeiah and Nethiel, Neth, Nethanel, and Hashabeb, and Jael and Jehozabab, the chief Levites, gave to the Levites for Passover offerings 5,000 from the flock and 500 cattle. Okay, so, so, so stick with me on this. So Josiah gets everything ready for this 
this, this, this celebration, this feast. Remember, they're called feast days for a reason. You know, when we say the word feast, I don't know what patent hits in your mind, but usually a feast means a lot of food, right? You're thinking feast, right? Celebration. People are there. There's going to be a lot of food. It's going to be a good time. And they were called feasts because essentially, for the most part, all of them were to be that. Now, there was one day where they were supposed to reflect, and we know the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. There was one day that they weren't supposed to eat, but then the, t- the Feast of Tabernacles took the week after that, which was another great time of celebration. So, but there was one day out of the year that, that was part of a feast that really wasn't to do with a lot of food and having a great time and all this. Uh, but certainly Passover was, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was all part of that. And so, you know, he's getting everything ready, you know, uh, just as the word of God had instructed. He says, now we have a copy of it. And we know, you know, how David and Solomon broke up the workers for the temple. We know how they did that. So you guys get all that ready to go and, and, and going. Maybe this helps you get you some idea. It's kind of like we, we do at church, right? Someone make sure that the lawns are mowed and, you know, the carpets have been vacuumed and the restrooms are clean and there's soap in the soap dispensers and toilet paper in the toilet paper dispenser. And somebody's making sure this is set up and that's taken care of and all this is going on. So when the people show up to church... You know, they walk in and nobody thinks, of, well, nobody cut the grass and man, nobody cleaned the bathrooms and there isn't any toilet paper and we're out of soap or hand towels in there. And man, the, you know, the chairs aren't there and there's stuff all over the carpet and nobody's cleaned the floor or this or that, right? You know, and all that. No, it, you know, you, you show up to church and everything's clean and good and ready to go. So it's kind of, in a sense, if you put it in the, today's thinking, that's what they were kind of doing, getting ready for the, the Passover and for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and, um, and so he's getting that all set up. And then as he's done that, I like you know, this so much. I mean, verse 7 is just pretty incredible to me. Not only did the king encourage the people to worship and serve the Lord, and he's been doing that now for quite some time as we've been reading, but now here in verse 7, he's also very practical in helping them. He is supplying... 30,000 lambs and goats, which is you could offer either one for Passover. And he's offering those animals for people to offer for their Passover sacrifice. And when he did this, it encouraged others that had resources to do the same. And it's amazing how we can set the example for others to follow. And he did it not just by words, but by what he did. And uh, that's important that we continue uh, to do that. Uh, you, you know, that we just, yes, we, we inc- use words of encouragement, and yes, we say things, and we, and we do those things, and those are important. But, but also there's another component to that, which is actually, you know, uh, uh, actually physically doing things. And sometimes there's practical things we can do that are more encouraging than the verbal things that come out in encouragement. And, and, and he's doing that. He wants everybody to enjoy Passover. He wants everybody to be a part of the celebration. And nothing's going to hinder them from being a part of that, to be encouraged just by not only what he says, by what he does. And of course, that's, you know... A, that's the same concept, of course, we have in the New Testament. I, you know, there's a First Timothy uh, 4.12. Um, you know, there was some people in the church where Timothy was left by Paul to minister to them, and they thought he was kind of a young guy to be leading the church and a pastor. And so t- uh, Paul gives Timothy these words. He says, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So I, I like that. It's, just, it's the same kind of concept that, that Josiah is doing in his day. You know, you're over the people as king, whether, you know, just like, uh, you know, uh, Timothy was the pastor over the, over the church that Paul had left him in charge of. And he says, you know what? Um, yeah, you say the right things. You know, you stay in the word of God. He's going to encourage them in the next few verses. But also how you live. Not just with your words, but and how you act and what you do. Uh, 
You know, uh, you encourage people not only by your words, but by your actions and how you do things. And, and again, that's just a, a, this is a New Testament uh, principle carried out in the life of Josiah in the Old Testament here. And, um, you know, I, I guess the next logical question is, why did he have to supply so many animals? He did 30,000, and then others from the priests and other leaders did um, uh, two, uh, 2,600, and, uh, and then another 500. So what's that? You know, 3,100, so 3,300... Uh, 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 um, 33,100 uh, animals for Passover were supplied. Um, uh, why? Well, remember, every household was supposed to offer an animal. And if your household was really small, which was probably pretty unusual, you, you would get with your neighbor and, you know, you would, you would, uh, you would get together and then you'd sacrifice one animal and, 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 and eat it. And so what it seems like is there were so many poor people in the land that they couldn't afford to offer a, pa a, a lamb or a goat for Passover. And so, you know, again, it doesn't tell us directly, but maybe we know the country was at a very low point and, you know, their land had been shrinking and they'd been overtaken by the, you know, the Assyrians had taken advantage of them and others uh, you know, had been taken advantage of them, and they weren't, they weren't well off, to say the least. And so, hey, listen, if you want to show up to Jerusalem and you want to be part of this, the, the Passover, I know it requires an animal, and we're going to make sure that you have what you need to worship and to celebrate along with us. And so he gave this huge amount, and, and others gave too. And so now we see, again... Um, uh, and other animals were given, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it was very generous. Uh, it was very generous. Um, there was other offerings that were given, and then, as we'll see here in a little bit, you know, some of those uh, the cattle that were offered, and maybe even some of the extra sheep if there was some extra. Because remember, the people are going to stay in town for a whole week, so he's not just giving them enough for Passover, which is one day, but he's actually going to feed everybody that shows up in Jerusalem. For seven days. Very generous. And he's going to feed anybody whose heart wants to be part of Passover and have the offering there so that they can fulfill that and that they can stay there for the Feast of Unleavened Bread and hang out and celebrate what the Lord's doing and what he called them to do for the rest of the week. Um, so it was pretty awesome. Um, some of you know Anastasia's in a school play and uh, yeah, she's there because it's, uh, it opens tomorrow night, and uh, she's got a few parts in the play. And the, the, the drama teachers put out emails some time ago and said, you know, we're going to be start working later and later. So if anybody would like to, um, you know, bring dinner for the kids, um, that would be great and help out because, you know, they're going to be here through, through dinner, and that would help us to keep going. And so, you know, I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, we'll do, we can help out and do that. And so, you know, I emailed her, hey, yeah, we'd like to bring dinner maybe one night. What, what should we do? What's, what's good? And, and uh, what, what do you need? And she said, oh, we, this, this, and that. She says, but just so you know, uh, you have to bring enough to feed 62 people. <laughs> I almost did the Red Fox Elizabeth, I'm coming home. I'm feeding 62 people. I'm like, 62 people? I thought I was going to maybe feed like 10 or 12 or 15. I didn't really think about how many people were involved in this, in this play production. But I guess at a high school play, you know, uh, 62 people is not unreasonable by, by any stretch. But then I started thinking, you know, even if you spent five bucks a person, you know, whatever, on a meal, uh, it was just all of a sudden jumped uh, way out of a... Uh, out of our uh, out of our price range, but uh, you know they said you could help in other ways. But I, I was thinking about that. And, but here's Josiah. He's he is gonna, you know, give it to to give uh, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that show up uh, here to do that. And uh, 60, 62 people wouldn't have scared him away like it did me. But uh, uh, you know, he's just, he's just willing to give so that people could be a part of this and celebrate it and being very generous and very encouraging. 
um, uh, for those that wanted to serve and those that just wanted to be a part of what God was doing in the nation here. And then it rings. So verse 10 says, um, The service was prepared, and the priests stood in their places, and the Levites in their divisions, according to the king's command. And they slaughtered the Passover offerings, and the priests sprinkled the blood with their hands with, while the Levites skinned the animals. Then they removed the burnt offerings that they might give them to the divisions of the fathers' houses of the lay people to offer to the Lord as written in the book of Moses. And so they did with the cattle. And they roasted the Passover offerings with fire according to the ordinance, but the holy other holy offerings they boiled in pots and cauldrons and pans and divided them quickly among the lay people. Uh, that just means the average people that were there. And, they af and afterwards they prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, because the priests, the son of Aaron, were busy in, burnt, uh, in offering burnt offerings and fat until night. Therefore the Levites prepared portions for themselves and for the priests and the sons of Aaron. So the Levites and the priests were so busy offering all these offerings, and you know they were supposed to, you know, sprinkle the blood from the Passover lamb, and they were going to burn up, you know, or the goat and some of the fat there. That was all part of the prescribed way of worshiping, uh, you know. And, and there was other sacrifices they were doing, and so they were so busy they didn't have time to prepare their own. So they made time at the end to make sure they had enough to set aside to. To, for, for themselves as well as their offerings and as their worship and as part of their... Because again, the Passover was a big meal. And so that they, they wanted to be a part of that. And so they made time at the end and, uh, and had everything ready. And so they, they he, 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 you know, encouraged them, got them all ready. They were all ready. They worked hard to make sure everybody, everything was done right according to what the Lord did. And these guys were ministering until the dark hours. And they, but they made sure that, you know, that, that they were part of it as well. And I, again, I think that's a, a great lesson for those who are involved in ministry or who want to be involved in ministry is, you know, uh, there's an important lesson that you always um, are being, uh, uh, take care of that you, you feed yourself the Word of God as well. A lot of people think, well, you know, I serve in church, or I help children's ministry, or I do this, or I do that, and, you know, I'm involved, and so, you know, that's kind of my service to the Lord, and they don't think that they need to partake in the meal or in reading and studying uh, the Word uh, of God, and they think, you know, that's done as part of, you know, their preparation to teach, you know, uh, a, a class or something, a, a little Sunday school class or a youth this or some kind of ministry or something. But it's important that uh, we never skip the meal or the Word of God. I, I find that's very important. You know, I, I prepare for, for, for two messages a week, but that has nothing to do with my own daily devotion in reading God's Word. That, that's separate. Now that's, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't call it a day because I spend enough time in the Word for the messages. No, I, I need to, I, I need to uh, feed myself as well. I think that's a very important thing that we, we never think that because we do these things and serve the Lord, it takes the place of uh, of making sure we're fed on the Word of God. I, I, I encourage everybody to, to read the word every day. It's so important, no matter what ministry or what calling the Lord has on your life. And uh, these guys, uh, that's, that's a good example of that. These guys set a time and made sure that they were part of it as well, that they were getting fed as well. As a matter of fact, verse 15, the singers, the son of Asaph, were in their places according to the command of David and Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, the king's seer. Also the gatekeepers were at each gate and they did not have to leave their position because their brethren the Levites prepared portions for them. So, you know, these guys also made sure that the worship team could continue to play the worship, if you would. And others that were serving, the gatekeepers are kind of like uh, the security and make sure everything is going okay. You know, they, they 
also made sure that they didn't miss out on the celebration and celebrating and, 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 and being a part of the Passover as well, even though they had a responsibility to serve and minister to the people that came, uh, they needed to be also part of that as well and, and, and be ministered to by the word and by the celebration and the feast and the remembrance just as everybody else. And so uh, everything is kind of humming and running and going and uh, looking really great, right? And then verse 16 says, And so all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer the burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the children of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. So remember, the first day was Passover, and the next six days were the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's where they weren't supposed to eat anything with leaven in and not have any leaven in their house. But they did all of that in Jerusalem for the seven days. And then verse 18 tells us this. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept with the priests and the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. So Passover was kept according to the word of God and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread that followed those seven days. And, and again, um, Passover regulations were you were to uh, roast the, the animal you know, after you did the blood and, and, and offered that and then you get, you'd get it back and then whatever you didn't eat, you, know, you and your family, whatever group that had gathered together to eat that one animal was to be burned up in the fire. You weren't supposed to eat any of it the next day at all. It was all supposed to um, be burned up. So the Passover meal was uh, all once and one thing. And if there was, you know, the, the lamb was bigger than what everybody could eat, then whatever was left over was to be consumed, just supposed to be thrown on the barbecue and let it turn into charcoal or dust, so to speak, right? And then, so we know that some of those other animals were also part of that fellowship offering and offerings that you'd offer before God and then you would share a meal with God. So the people could sit there and, and be there for a week and uh, you know the other six days and have food to eat and be in that fellowship and celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so it was an incredible, wonderful, incredible and a wonderful time. And verse 18 says... This was super special to the Lord. There, there hadn't been anything like this celebration of this Passover since, you know, the judges. I mean, none of the kings, and let's face it, you know, we had David and the Solomon, and there were some other good kings after that that celebrated it. And you think those guys would have hit the higher notes and it had been a, a more... Uh, successful, for lack of a better word, uh, Passover. But for some reason, the Lord in verse 18 just sets his apart and says there was just nothing like this. There wasn't a Passover kept like this. Now, it couldn't be because of the size, because uh, the nation had shrunk incredible after the split with Solomon and then shrunk even more after all the wars and all the problems and everything going on. So I can't imagine it was it had anything to do with numbers, but I, and it doesn't really tell us, so there's speculation involved, but maybe those who showed up, there was nobody like that who showed up who truly wanted to worship and draw close to the Lord. Whatever that number was, you know, there was more true worship going on than a crowd five or 10 times that size or 50 times that size, whatever that size would have been. Because in those past days with David and Solomon and even with Saul and, and it, some of the larger kingdoms when there was millions of people, uh, 
you know, a lot of people were just doing that out of religious duty, right? And that's something we got to do. Got to show up. It is Passover, you know. I really don't want to, but, you know, everybody else is going. We kind of got to do it. And, you know, we go down there. And, and maybe that was the heart of a, of a portion of the people in these past Passovers. And though, even though this number was probably considerably small, smaller, um, that, you know, those that really wanted to be there loved the Lord. Or, or it could have been, you know, the heart of Josiah and, and some of the other leaders just giving so many people an opportunity to worship the Lord by, giving the, by being so generous and giving the animals. That could be part of it as well. It, it doesn't tell us, but what we know for sure is that it was an amazing time of worship for the nation or for those that were there. And... Uh, even though the nation was in shambles, they still worshiped the Lord and they had a blessed time. That's the important thing to see. You know, if, if we had time and started reading in a chapter 36 and you see how things get undone, or if we were to read Jeremiah or read some, uh, Zechariah or some of the other prophets that were going on at this time, and we see the, the, the bad things and the wrong things and the corruptness of some of the people's hearts that was going on at this time, you, you know, uh, you can get pretty discouraged by reading that, you know, because there was a lot of people that didn't even want anything to do with this that were still around. But those that were there, you know what, um, they, even though there was a lot of things and a lot of, you know, bad eggs still living in the nation, those that were there worshiped the Lord and came there to worship the Lord and had a blessed time. And I think one of the important lessons for us is this. Don't wait till everything is perfect before celebrating and worship, worshiping the Lord. You know, sometimes we think, well, when this gets together and that finally resolves itself and is doing this and doing that, then... You know, then, then I can take a breath and, you know, really rejoice in the Lord and celebrate and, you know, worship Him, you know, the way I'd like to. And, you know, we can rejoice and celebrate in any and every situation. Just remember that. You know, we, we're encouraged to do that, you know, in Philippians and uh, in a number of places in the New Testament. And that's really what's going on here, right? I mean, there was a lot of things... As we'll see here in just a second in verse 20, that were going on geopolitically at that time. A lot of trouble on the scene, and yet they still, um, you know, rejoice and celebrate in the Lord. And we just don't ever want to lose that. You know, it doesn't matter what's going on. We can still take a breath, take a time, and rejoice and celebrate what the Lord's done and what He's doing. And I think that's a great takeaway from this. Because there's always verse 20. <laughs> and after all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Nico, king, or Neko, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. So let me put up a couple of maps here. So you can see Babylon over on one side and Egypt on the other side. And at the very top, uh, near the Mediterranean is Carchemish. Uh, uh, and, um, and Egypt is going to go up there to, to fight, and they're heading up there to the Euphrates to, to war against the Babylonians and join the Assyrian forces. And, and basically what they're doing is they're traveling through Israel, through Judah specifically, to head on up, you know, to get to Carchemish, which is up north. And here's a Here's another picture of that. You can see at this time, because politically, now this is all in the 18th year and all this. Geopolitically, the, the, the Assyrians nation is, is getting smaller and smaller. The Babylonians are getting bigger and bigger. They had already taken over Nineveh. You can read the cities there, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And then, you know, they're, they're already in uh, Carchemish or Carchemish, however you want to say it. And, you know, the Assyrian is that other, uh, other color, and they're getting smaller and smaller there. And so now, you know, there's the changing of the guards. And Egypt, of course, has had a better relationship with the Assyrians, and Babylonians are coming. And so now they want to fight with the Assyrians against the Babylonians. And 
things were changing. Babylon is rising, and Egyptian army now is marching through Judah. And Josiah is like, Heading out to meet him. What's going on here? This army of Egyptian army is coming into my, my nation. But verse 20, 21 tells us, but he sent messengers to him. That's that's Necho or Necho, king the king or the pharaoh of Egypt, sent messengers to him saying, What do I have to do with what have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. So the Egyptians are coming up through through Israel, through Judah, you know, marching right past right into his nation. He is getting goes out to meet them, and, and then you know, the Pharaoh Necho, he he sends you know, ambassadors saying, hey, Josiah, I'm not here for you. I'm not here to mess with you. It has nothing to do with you. You know, God's told me that I need to go up to Carchemish or Carchemish, however you want to say it, and and battle up there. So just just stay out of the way. Let me just travel through. I'm not stopping to cause you any problems or heartache. God's called me to go up there. You just don't want to meddle in this. Just just step aside and, and we'll We'll be out of your way in a little bit. You just you don't want to cause any problems or trouble. Now, Josiah, again, for some reason, doesn't want the Egyptian army traveling through his lands. Or maybe he just wasn't sure what he was doing. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't tell us what Josiah's thinking was here. We don't know in Scripture what it says. But he, Nico does send a word to him that it's not about you. I'm not here to fight you. Don't meddle in this. Just stay out of the way. Uh, and, and he tells him, if, because if you do, you're not really meddling with me. You're meddling with God. And the bottom line is, if you do that, it won't end well for you. Now, put yourself in his situation. Put yourself in Josiah's situation here. What would you think if you just got this messenger message from the king of Egypt. That I, even though I'm in your land, but I'm not here for you, God's told me to go up there and just stay out of my way. I need to get up there. And it, it, you know, it, it, if you choose to mess with me, you're, you're not really messing with me, you're messing with God. Now this is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, talking about God. I don't know about you, but I think I would react like, Josiah, as we'll see, is going to react like, who is this pagan king from Egypt using the name of the Lord and speaking to me uh, like he is giving me a message from God? This guy that doesn't know God, as far as you know, we know, and certainly as pagan as the Egyptians are, what's all this God talk about here, you know? I mean, how would you deal with it if you, you got that message? What would you think about all this? His army is coming in. He's talking about God not getting in the way, but, but you know, this is a king of Egypt. He's Pharaoh down there. I mean, he's not, not like I'm talking to some prophet of the Lord or anything, right? Well, he does probably what, what we would do, I can't speak for you, but probably for me. Nevertheless, verse 22, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him, uh, might fight with him and did not heed the words of, of Necho or Necho from the mouth of God. And so he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. So here's the map. And you can see, Joseph, you know, the king of Egypt is, is coming up through Judah, uh, crossing over, and Josiah comes up from Jerusalem, and you can see Megiddo, or the valley of Megiddo there. And, uh, you know, there was a fortress there. They had put a fortress there uh, because that was a, a you know, a, a well-traveled highway for protection. And so he meets him at that spot, and he goes anyway, and he disguises himself. It doesn't really tell us why he disguised himself. He didn't want to be recognized as the king. But 
pretty much what Josiah is saying is, who is this guy to talk about you know, God and tell me what God is doing and what I shouldn't do, this king of Egypt? And so he heads out to battle. Uh, this guy, you know, I, I don't know what he's talking about. And he heads out to battle. Verse 23 says, And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. And his servants therefore took him out of, the, of that chariot and put him in a second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. And so he died, and he was buried in the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. I think there's a couple of important lessons that we should learn from this here. There are many things that we should never meddle in, especially without going to prayer. One thing that is absent here is that we don't see Josiah praying, God, is that a message from you, from this pagan king? Can that really come from you, from this guy? Uh, again, um, and he doesn't go to prayer. And, and again, this is a, an, there's, there's a lot of um, verses that talk about not, in the Bible, about not getting involved in things that we shouldn't be involved in. We have really no business meddling in those things. We need to be careful. Now, yes, Jesus says in Matthew you know, 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So Jesus does tell us that. You know, peacemakers have an important part. But I think there's a, a clear distinction here. It's, you know, when is it meddling and when is it trying to be a peacemaker? I think that's all has to do with the Holy Spirit and the Lord's clearly speaking to a person when they get clear direction. Now this is the time, Dylan, where you get involved here and you try to be the peacemaker. I, I want you to, to, to do that. After I sought him in prayer and said, Lord, do you, I'm not just reacting and getting involved. I am seeking him and seeking his leading. Okay, you want me to be a peacemaker here. And there's plenty of room for that. We need that in this world. But there's also plenty of times where we can find ourselves meddling something that the Lord never called us to meddle in and getting involved in that just becomes this big quagmire and bogs everything down and it leaves a lot of hurt people, uh, including ourselves. And, I, I, you know, again, there's, there's, there's cases for both and how you come up with what side you should land on any particular situation is what the Lord speaks to you, how the Holy Spirit uh, you know, talks to you, what he says, what, you know, th does he want you to get, what his leading is in that particular situation. We need to know what that is. And again, there's no place where it says that Josiah did this. And again, I get it. I mean, here's a whole Egyptian army coming down, and this guy's talking about God, and, you know, God's not worshipped down there. So why should I listen to this guy? But that brings up the next lesson is that we need to remember also in our day, as well as back in Josiah's day, is that the Lord can speak through anyone or anything. And when I say thing, that should probably jump you into your mind, Numbers 22, 28, which is that wonderful story of Balaam, where God didn't really want him to go and speak against the, the Hebrews coming out of Egypt. You might remember that story, and, and Balak wanted Balaam to curse the people, and God didn't want him to, and so God was kind of hindering his way, even though he was forcing his way, and, and, uh, and this donkey saw the angel of the Lord blocking the way, and so she stopped, and Balaam couldn't see uh, the angel of the Lord, but he, the donkey realized if I go any farther, the angel of the Lord's going to cut me down. And so, you know, he, he gets off the animal, starts beating her, and then the Lord says, open the, mouth of the, uh, open the donkey's mouth. And it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make uh, you beat me these three times? So I say, the Lord can you speak through anyone or anything, and we need to remember that. We just can't dismiss out of hand because the Lord might be speaking through our heathen boss who, you know, doesn't 
respect the Lord really in, in, in any way in his life, and yet the Lord could use somebody like that if he chooses to. And sometimes we can kind of have this attitude, well, we have the superior knowledge of God and, and we've been used by Him in many ways and we know Him and sometimes we get this little inflated opinion of ourselves and, you know, who do they, you know, who are they to say anything about the Lord or the Bible or what's right or what's wrong? Man, their whole life is like a shipwreck and yet, you know, who are they to say anything? And we can kind of get this little, I know so much more than you do attitude and really miss what maybe God wants to speak to us. Now listen, the Lord could have used Jeremiah. He was there. He could have used Zechariah. He was there. The Lord could have used Huldah, the prophetess. Remember, he went to her last, last week. We were talking about her when they discovered the word of God. They wanted to hear what the Lord had to say. Lord, what, what's your word? Oh, go see Huldah, the prophetess. She, she, God could have used her or any other number of prophets that were running around, or godly people at that time. But he didn't. Which is why we need to always be open. And why we always need to go to the Father in prayer and seeking His will. Because He could be speaking through them, and we don't want to miss out or bring on us unnecessary pain and, and hurt because we just dismiss the messenger. And that can happen all too easy. And in this case, it was a very sad outcome for sure. I mean, everybody was so sad that he had died. And verse 25 says, Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. So whenever they have a sad song that they sing, you know, they usually has something to do with Jer uh, Josiah, right? And they made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the Lamentations. So it was so sad to lose this guy. Everybody was sad. And it says, Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to what are written in the law of the Lord, and his deeds from first to last, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, which of course we have studied. And so now we see an early end to a great and godly king. Why? Because he got involved where he shouldn't have. Didn't really trust that, that would, the word of the Lord would come from somebody like that. And thought, there's just no way, I know more, I, I love the Lord more, I'm in tune, I've been used by the Lord, I, you know, I, I read His Word now, I'm spiritual in this way, and so, you know, I'm so far superior than this other person that, you know, whatever they have to say is just whatever. And uh, I think it's an important lesson we don't, you know, uh, make the same mistake. That we, we learn to be open to whatever voice the Lord wants to use. And, and if we're not sure, and if we see that, and we see that lifestyle, hey, go to, that's why we have prayer. It's just, Lord, I'm coming to you. I heard this. It doesn't sound right. I know this guy. But man, if you want to speak to me through this dumb animal, <laughs> my boss, or this person, or whatever, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I want to be open to however you choose to communicate with me and not dismiss anything. And, uh, and, and a great important lesson we learn here from the life of Josiah. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, we do again thank you. We thank you for his heart, Lord. And, and uh, you know, when we read the last few words about him in the book of Second Kings, you know, just uh, there was no other king like him. And um, he just was, you know, loved you so much in so many different ways, Lord. And and um, although you don't say anything critical about any of his decisions here, Lord, I know that there's some important lessons that you have for us to learn. And um, how much, how, how nice it would have been in Jeremiah's eyes and the people's eyes and all those that were so sad to see him go if he had just maybe taken a little bit more time to seek you and see what you had to say about the whole situation. And and Lord, sometimes we can feel so pressured, and I, I can't imagine what that pressure is like facing the Egypt, whole Egyptian army, and they're right there, uh, not at the doorstep. They've already made you know ten, 10 steps into your house, and uh, there's just a, kind of a need to feel like um, 
to react. And, and even though you try to, to quench that and temper that pretty quickly, you know, um, because of the messenger, it was pretty much dismissed out of hand. And so, Lord, help us to learn that. We want to have Josiah's heart, Lord. We see his generosity and his love and his desire for his people and for others to come to know you and love you the way he did, Father. Uh, just such a great man, and we're, we're sorry to see him pass off the scene here, Father, uh, especially what's coming next. But, Lord, we do thank you for the lessons that you've preserved for us that we might learn. And may we learn them, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.